at the Boise Napa Institute are so grateful that so many of you out there uh, across the world are listening uh, from week to week. It's a humbling experience to, uh, to have you out there listening and to think that anything that we say might have some value to others is, is wonderful. Uh, we think also that it's important that our voices aren't the only voices out there. So we've created a Facebook page called the Come Follow Him Podcast Group. That's the name, Come Follow Him Podcast Group. And we hope that this might be a place for our audience members to come together and share some thoughts and insights from week to week. We would love for that to be maybe even an institute class for some of you that are 18 to 30 years old. Each week, we're gonna post a question relevant to the discussion that we had on the podcast. And we'd love to have each of you respond to the question or really any aspect of the discussion that we had. Once you respond there, someone from our institute will reach out after the first time you respond and find out if you wanna take this as a class to receive some institute credit. All you have to do is three things. One is every week you'd listen to the podcast, which you're already doing, so good job. Uh, second, log into the Facebook group. Again, that's the Come Follow Him podcast group. Find the question for the week, respond to that question, or again, make any comment you want based on the conversations we had, and you'd get credit for attending. We'll keep track of your comments, and if you've allowed us to register you for the online class, uh, we'd give you a credit for each week you participate in the discussion. And then anyone that uh, comments more than 75% of the time on posts that we put out there, uh, you'll get institute credit towards the class. So. Hopefully that's a, a resource for some of you out there with institutes far flung from you. We want that to be a, 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 an option for you. Uh, really, we want everyone out there to participate in this discussion uh, online. So no matter where you live, we'd love to hear your insights into the Come Follow Him conversations that we're having. And if you'd also like to institute credit, we can help you get that too. Either way, log into the Facebook page. Simply go to the search field and type Come Follow Him Facebook group. Again, that's the Come Follow Him Facebook group. We look forward to getting to know you all just a little bit better as we all learn to come follow him. Welcome back, everybody. It's good to be with you again this week. Uh, excited to be uh, with our new institute uh, director here, uh, Brother Brendan Felix. Brendan, welcome. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. It's good to have you. We, we've had you before, but mm -hmm. not quite uh, as the institute director. You were associate director last time I think we had you. Is that right? Yes. So there's been some changes, and uh, just like uh, different assignments in the church, mm -hmm. we, we take on different roles. And so since June, I've been the institute director and just learning uh, how to do what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> right. Uh, you're doing a great job so far, and uh, oh, I'm grateful you. for your leadership. I'll, I'll give you a minute to just maybe share some thoughts as the institute director. Um, but for those that uh, are local here and know Jim Edwards, Jim Edwards um, was the institute director here. You've heard him on the podcast out there, um, and we'll still have him on, but he's been assigned somewhere else and is now a principal at a seminary and coordinating some early morning programs and, and some things, and looking forward to seeing him succeed in those, those spaces as well. So I visited him the other day, actually, oh, uh, for another, another thing and watched him teach these, these cool. young seminary students and just saw the energy and... Yeah. And uh, talked with them afterwards, and just having a great time. Oh, that's good. Doing something different. That's Sometimes good. the variety just brings a brings a new energy, and yeah. new, new focus. But. Yeah, that's exciting. Well, talk with us before we jump into the scriptures. By the way, for those that are listening and, and maybe reading along, we're going to be in Ephesians today, chapters one through six. Um, but before we jump in, Brother Felix, uh, give us a thought from the Institute Director here. What would you? Uh, what would you want young adults locally, and maybe maybe just generally as an institute director? What would you want young adults out in the out in the world to know or feel, or mm -hmm. just open the floor to you for a minute? 
Well, maybe I'd just share something that we learned the recently. We had Elder Wong, the North American yeah. Central President, come and do an institute devotional. And those that haven't experienced Elder Wong, <laughs> just hilarious and, and just a good, uh, fun, fun talk that he gave. And, you, you might remember him in conference. He was the first one ever that gave his conference talk in his, in in his native tongue. Native tongue. Mm -hmm. And that was, I don't know, three or four years ago, but, yep. but Elder Sam Wong is his name. So. Exactly. Yeah, sorry, keep going. Um, one of the things that, that he just talked about is as worried about young adults slipping through the cracks. Yeah. And he shared the parable of Peter Parker. And, and those <laughs> of you that are, are familiar with Spider-Man, and, and he talked about, and he was up on the stand, he was kind of gunslinging like <laughs> Peter Parker with his wrists, and just like Spider-Man does. And he just talked about uh, shooting webs to hold things up and how we need to shoot those webs and hold each other together. Mm. And he made the interesting point of you, you, you never see Peter Parker shoot himself yeah. with the web. Right. This is all about reaching out to others and helping others stay, stay in the web, yeah. stay together yeah. uh, with, with all of us. And so my, my one piece of, of advice would just be to echo that is, are you helping others stay Stayed with us, stayed yeah. together, yeah. Uh, helping them be part of this great web mm. uh, where we are just, uh, have that unity in yeah. the Savior. And I hope that Institute provides that. It's another opportunity to, to stay stuck together sure. uh, as we study the gospel of Jesus Christ and deepen our, deepen our conversion. Mm. Uh, we, we come closer to him and, and we come closer to each other. Yeah, I love that. So whether you're local or you're out there in the world somewhere, uh, check into an institute. Uh, we, we have started uh, maybe a little bit of a class here, um, and, and there's no obligation to this, but, but anybody out there listening, we, uh, we welcome you to go find us on the Facebook uh, page um, and see if we can uh, make, make a little bit more of connections between mm -hmm. us. That's, that's maybe our hope there, is to help you interact with each other. We, we, we know that locally there's a lot of students that can come and be together here, but I think as we get out of the... Uh, the, the high populations of the church, we get into places where you might be the only one out there. And, and we want to provide an opportunity for you to, uh, to interact with others. We can get you some institute credit along the way as well. So, yeah. uh, so we're excited about that offering and, and look forward and invite you to go uh, to interact with us a little bit on the Facebook page there. Um, it's the Come Follow Him podcast group. Um, it might take a little bit of digging to find it, but it has the same icon as the iPod or the um, podcast. podcast has. So... Uh, you should be able to find it if you dig a little bit, but uh, hopefully you'll go there and, and those links, those connections, those, yep. that Peter Parker principle maybe, um, and maybe be gathered in and help others stay gathered in. I, I love that idea. Well, thank you for that. What a, what a great message at this time. Um, let's jump in. Uh, Ephesians chapters 1 through 6. And uh, share us, just start us. Share your thoughts. Excellent. So just so those aware on the podcast... Uh, we are, we're talking about Ephesians today. We are recording this prior to when it's going to be released. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when this is going to be released, it will have just uh, taken place right after General Conference. Yeah. You will have just spent 10 hours watching the prophets and apostles <laughs> speak. And so if we don't touch on anything they said yeah. over the weekend, know it, that it's not because we didn't watch. Uh, it's just because we, we're, we're trying to do this a little bit in yeah. advance. Or we think and, our uh, thoughts are so much better yeah, than what we heard no, all weekend uh, long. <laughs> Uh, so just know that if there is something we don't address, there's a reason why, reason why we didn't. We hope that you tuned in. 
And certainly the messages of conference and the message of having a prophet fits this book. Yeah, for sure. Uh, where we're going to see that I, I went through the, the citation index and looked at what chapters and what verses are most often talked about. And it goes right to Ephesians 4 with oh. 315 times oh, in wow. conference wow. where uh, it talks about those verses where and he gave some apostles and some prophets mm. and some evangelists. Yeah, 11, 12, 13, right? Industry. So yeah. we'll, we'll get to that. Um, one thing that's unique about this book is Paul didn't write it to, to fix anything. Mm. Uh, we often see letters where he's writing and, oh, I hear this is going on in Corinth, <laughs> and I hear this is going on in Thessalonica. Yeah, and sure. and he, so he's writing to correct. He just really wrote some uplifting doctrines mm. and teachings that are just going to give them more gospel light and truth. Mm. And so it's, it's fun to read. There's so much, yeah. so much in here. Yeah, One thing that, that I enjoy about this book and, and unique to this book is the word saint appears in this epistle more than any other mm. uh, epistle that was written. Mm. And the word Satan is in every chapter. So if you go through, you can, you can find and highlight every time where he mentions the word, mm. mentions the word saint. So certainly it was something in his vocabulary yeah. and something he felt like his, his converts in Ephesus were aware of and familiar with being called saints. Yeah. And we, of course, are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm -hmm. And we have the doctrine of the latter days right here in chapter chapter one, yeah. uh, as he talks about these saints. Uh, a couple of, of important things: uh, verses three and four, very often quoted uh, again according to the, the citation index, about how. Well, let's let's just read it. Verse three: Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Mm -hmm. That word heavenly places shows up in a couple of different chapters in this book, chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. Mm -hmm. uh, love that it's heavenly places. So another little reference to there's more than one place yeah. after this life. Sure, yeah. And so just another evidence. He didn't just say there was a heavenly place. Mm -hmm. uh, there's places. But then that heavenly place can also be referencing pre-mortal life, as we see in verse 4. Sure. According as he hath chosen us in him, before the foundation of the world, mm. that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, mm. having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Footnote for predestined 5a talks about Greek, the foreordination, yeah. that we have just been foreordained to do things before the foundation of the world. Yeah, yeah maybe I'll speak just a little bit about that. I think that concept... Um, is a is a significant and an important concept, especially for those of us that uh, have been blessed to be born into the church. Um, <clears throat> we don't we don't fully know why. I think in the in the pre earth realm, why we were given that option. Uh, there's there's places in the scriptures where uh, noble and great ones might be a, a reference to that. I know that um, there's places in uh, the Book of Mormon talking about that same foreordination. Uh, for Alma and, and the sons of Mosiah, Alma the Younger and the sons of Mosiah. Um, <clears throat> but <clears throat> one of the things that I think maybe I'll point out, and then I'd love to hear your thoughts on that concept. One of my students the other day in uh, an Answering Gospel Questions class that I teach asked the question, was, was Judas foreordained to be Judas? And I thought, what an interesting question. And, and, and he went on, he asked a little bit more about that question. He said, because... Because God knew somebody was going to come down and and uh, and you know do what had to happen in order for the Savior to uh, to be taken and whatnot and and 
and I think you could similarly ask, was, was uh, uh, Laban foreordained to be Laban and get the plates and all those things? And, and I think when we, when we speak about foreordination or predestination, uh, we miss that agency is still very much part of the, the process, that, that maybe we um, have a, a task to accomplish, um, but that would always be, in the Lord's eyes, a positive task. Um, and as we studied and talked about that idea that um, Judas maybe, maybe was foreordained, the idea came, what could God have done more than to put Judas next to Christ his whole life to try to get Judas back? And, um, and I thought, you know, that, that really speaks to the agency that we have. God knows what we're going to do. But it doesn't mean he wants us to do that. It doesn't mean he wants us to, to act contrary to um, you know, the plan of salvation in any way. He just knows that some of us are going to choose to do that. And so I don't know that God's foreknowledge is the same as predestination or foreordination. Uh, he's, just, he's just aware. He can look in and see what's going to happen before we even come. And then, just like with Judas, tries not to have those things happen. Uh, gives us every opportunity to make different choices. And anyway, I just thought that was kind of an interesting connection and tie into this concept of ordination, predestination. Yeah, the, with the predestination, that's why I pointed out the footnote. We, we don't believe that we are predestined or right. we are forced or our agency is taken away and God just says this is what's going to happen yeah. and it doesn't matter what we do. So it, I, I think it's important to, to look at that that Greek is foreordained. And as far as I understand, foreordination really is about we are foreordained to do good things. Yeah. I don't know that any patriarchal blessing talks about <laughs> the foreordination of doing bad things. Wicked Certainly, things uh, there's warnings in there, right, yeah. uh, but I wouldn't call that you're foreordained to do. Yeah. Uh, we're often warned about things that we should not should not do. Yeah. Um, but the foreordination really is a, a positive thing in the in the work of the Lord, yeah. and it brings about a, a great comfort to know that Heavenly Father knows us so well. Yeah. That he says, "This is these are some things that you could do as you make those choices yeah. along the way." Yeah, I love that. Get you there. I love that. For uh, predestination is predestined is used again in verse eleven, and again the cross reference back to Ephesians one five, mm -hmm. where we we redefine that a little bit more as foreordination and predestined. So, yeah. love it, love it. Keep going. Now, with that foreordination, yeah. it brings us right into to verse ten, because yeah. as we talk on this podcast to people in the year twenty twenty three. We're talking about people living in what verse 10 is talking yeah. about. It says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Mm. And so we, we're talking about this dispensation, the last dispensation, the dispensation of the fullness of times. Mm. We know that uh, Elder B.H. Roberts, a member of the 70s, said, this is the dispensation of the fullness of times. We see running into it as mighty streams rushing into the ocean, all the former dispensations, putting us in touch with them, putting them in touch with us. And we see that God has had but one great purpose in view from the beginning, and that has been the salvation of his children. And now has come the final day, the final dispensation, when truth and light and righteousness must flood the earth. Mm. We are part of that dispensation where everything runs together, where everything's going to be connected through temple work, through all keys, through all of those things that have been restored in this, the final, the final dispensation. Mm -hmm. So that's very cool. Um, yeah, and and uh, I think maybe and maybe there's something I'm skipping here, but but into into verse 13, 
speaking of, of the Savior, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, that the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Um, that idea of being sealed in the Holy Spirit of promise, uh, being a, a knowledge that you can be saved and uh, that uh, there's, a, there's a lot of temple maybe references in that, in that phrase, the Holy Spirit of promise and, and the concept of being sealed to the Savior. And uh, just I really think that this first chapter really sets up what you've talked about, that we're going to talk about being saints, mm -hmm. right? Foreordained, um, living in the dispensation of the fullness of times, being sealed to Christ, living after the manner of Christ uh, with the Holy Spirit of promise, showing you that you're going to be okay. And what a hopeful and glorious idea that is, right? That, that we know that even as hard as life might get, that because we know what we know and we, and we act the way we act, uh, that we can be sealed with the Savior. Definitely. Definitely. Now, we, we've kind of taken a big approach that this is the dispensation of the fullness of times and that all things are gathered together in yeah. Christ. But Elder Bednar takes it kind of more personal. Mm -hmm. He gave a talk in 2018. Uh, I believe it was just called, yeah, Gathered Together in One, All Things in Christ. Mm -hmm. And rather than, in his talk, rather than talking about all the dispensations coming back, and, which is true, mm -hmm. and all of the, the, the parts and pieces connecting together, he took it to a more individual level. He said this, Sometimes as members of the church, we segment, separate, and apply the gospel in our lives by creating lengthy checklists of individual topics to study and tasks to accomplish. But such an approach potentially can constrain our understanding and our vision. He goes on to teach, uh, the purpose of purification, the happiness and joy, and the continued conversion and protection that comes from yielding our hearts to God and receiving His image in our countenance cannot be obtained merely by performing and checking off all the spiritual things we're supposed to do. Rather, the power of the Savior's gospel to transform and bless us flows from discerning and applying the interrelatedness of its doctrines, mm. principles, and practices. Mm. Only as we gather together in one all things in Christ with firm focus upon Him can gospel truths synergistically enable us to become what God desires us to become and endure valiantly to the end. Mm. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a magnificent tapestry of truth fitly framed and woven together. Yeah. So yes, all things will, all the dispensations and all the things in those dispensations come back to this dispensation. And that's one definition of gathering together all things in sure. Christ. But the second one that, or this one that really cool. Bednar shares is, can we just take the gospel principles and gather them together? You might remember in his talk, he talked about a rope and strands of the rope coming yep. together and creating that strength. Uh, we can, as he is, as he is inviting us to do, gather together the teachings of Christ, the interrelatedness of its doctrines, principles, and practices, and create that strength as yeah. we become one in Christ. I, lo I love that. I I, um, I think it's a it's a new, different way of looking at that doctrine, right? That that uh, that that we can know how the inner cogs of this this doctrine and and the doctrine that seems so completely separated how they're all connected mm -hmm. through those cogs, right? It reminded me as you were talking about that as uh, the spiritual gift that my wife and I were just speaking about the other day, and it's uh, found in Doctrine and Covenants 46.16. It says, again, it is given by the Holy Ghost. So we're speaking about gifts of the Spirit, right? It says, again, it's given by the Holy Ghost to some to know the diversity of operations, whether they be of God, that, ma that the manifestation of the Spirit may be given to every man to profit with all. It... it Elder Bednar, perfect example of this, right? Where he can see how 
um, this doctrine that we understand in this holistic way, really with the gift of diversity of operations can say yes, but let's break it down. Let's look at how they operate together. My wife and I were talking about how sometimes I think when we receive callings, we, uh, we go to the handbook and we look for our calling and we just identify, okay, these are the things I'm supposed to do. And we miss that if I do my calling with, within the framework of the other callings that are in my ward, mm-hmm. that really all the cogs start spinning together if I do it in, in line. And that diversity of operations, that understanding of how one wheel spins the next wheel and the next wheel, even if I'm completely disconnected from them in my assignment. Um, and I love that idea that all of the commandments are similarly connected. When we obey one, we'll want to obey the other, not because mm-hmm. we're commanded to, but because we understand, oh, this does affect that. The interrelatedness yeah. of it. Yeah. And it, and it helps us to avoid the, the hobby horse, yeah. the, uh, the looking beyond the mark and focusing on one thing. Right. Elder Cook talked about how sometimes people get yeah. so focused on one thing. We really need to gather all of this <laughs> so true. In, in the Savior. And, and it's interesting because like, if, if I have a hobby horse, it would be that um, I love teaching about the plan of salvation. But it's because it's the whole, right? It gets us the whole understanding. And within that, everything fits. Everything spins around inside of that. Um, that's so cool. I love that. I love that. Keep us going. Keep us moving. So let's, uh, under that theme of what do saint, what are saints like, what do saints do, if we go to chapter 2, okay. we learn that saints are saved by grace through yeah. faith. Some amazing, amazing verses. Verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, yeah. not of works, lest any man should boast. Often these are, are quoted to members of our faith uh, because some outside of our faith, other good Christians, feel like we maybe focus on works so much. And sometimes these are thrown at us to, to open our eyes. Hopefully our eyes are already open yeah. that we are saved by grace. But... Sometimes that verse 10 is not then read, right. which says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, right. which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Yeah. Uh, not that we are walking in and doing those good works to be saved, but that's what we are created for. Yeah. And that's one of the ways that we connect with the grace of the Savior is that those things we do uh, to try to connect ourselves and bind ourselves to him to allow that grace to be abundant in our lives. Yeah, I really love that. I, I think of uh, a concept that, that President Nelson brought up when speaking about Sabbath day, and uh, uh, his idea was, you know, as he was learning to, to keep the Sabbath day holy in his own life, uh, he, had used, he used to make lists, and, mm-hmm. and then he realized one day, it really just is what sign do I want to show the Lord? Um, and I think that idea is similar here, that, that it isn't about what I did on Sunday that makes the Sabbath hap, uh, uh, holy. It's that I chose things that were holy to make the Sabbath holy, right? And similarly in our lives, it isn't the action of, um, it, isn't, it isn't the holy actions that are making me worthy of living with God again or, or um, worthy of heaven. None of that does that. We're all unworthy, right? Unprofitable servants, King Benjamin would say. But that we, that we show a sign, and the action that I'm taking shows that I want to follow the Savior, 
And uh, I think that is uh, the significant um, help. I think that is a significant change to me, at least, in understanding grace and faith and action within that. Um, I might just reference, because I think it's a landmark talk, um, a talk given at a BYU address uh, called His Grace is Sufficient mm -hmm. by Brother Brad Wilcox, who's now in the General Young Men's Presidency, uh, speaks about how it isn't anything we do. Um, it's, it is literally Christ that saves us, and our actions simply show we want him to. Exactly. And that's really all it is. In, in regard to this subject, I often go to 2 Nephi chapter 2, uh, verse 8, where it says, Wherefore, how great the importance to make these things known unto the inhabitants of the earth, that, there may, that they may know that there is no flesh that can dwell in the presence of God, save it be through the merits and mercy and grace of the Holy Messiah. There is nothing we're going to do that will qualify us we can or earn salvation by any means. It is going to be through His merits, mercy, and grace. Sometimes in classes I've, I've talked about, uh, none of us are going to sit at the, the judgment day table and slide our spiritual resume across and say, <laughs> Look what I did. Look at that. See that Eagle Scout right there? Look at that. Or, hey, you know, there were some times I served as a bishop. Right. That, that should do it, right? Or, yeah, I, no. It is, it is going to be, we will rely solely upon him. And I know that in this, this podcast, you've often mentioned that him advocating yeah. in, in the Doctrine and Covenants, yeah. advocating with the Father, right. it will be through, through him. Right. And I, I love the, the message that Paul gives us there. Yeah, by he, grace, you're saved. He, he says in 14, I love, it, I love 14, uh, well, maybe 13 too. Now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So you're brought close by the blood mm -hmm. of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. I love that idea that, yeah. that the, the wall that separated us, the veil maybe we learn in the temple that separates us from the presence of the Father is, is broken down by the Son. It is through the Son, and quite literally in the temple, through the Son, that we, uh, we are able to be brought into his presence and, and have, uh, and have the, the blessings promised, but not because of anything I did on this side of the veil, but only yeah. because he does what he has done by breaking down that middle wall of partition. And that that phrase, the wall of the middle wall of partition, is gonna mean something specifically to the, the people of Ephesus. They are oh. they're converts, they're Gentiles. Okay. Uh, the Institute Manual talks about at the temple in Jerusalem a partition wall was set up to prevent Gentiles from entering the courts that were forbidden to them. Hmm. And so you had this wall and so they would know I can't go beyond that. I can't go beyond that wall. Uh -huh. And so for him to, to talk about this wall being removed, the, the Institute Manual continues and says, Paul spoke about the wall of partition, meaning the spiritual barrier that separated Jews from Gentiles and also separated Gentiles from God. Uh -huh. These and all other barriers were removed by the atonement of Jesus Christ. So I, it, it means a lot to us because yeah. we feel like there, there's always a wall right. with the things that I do and sure. so on. But it would mean something different for them to say, you, you, you're now in the temple. You're, you're right. with us. There's no, there's no 
Well, yeah, that, that Gentiles that are yeah, that's cool, and and it maybe makes eleven and twelve and and nineteen. And they're 19, strangers yeah. and right. Exactly. It, it, wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, right? Mm -hmm. Thir twelve. That at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants. You couldn't even go back behind the curtain. Yep. Man, that changes that a lot. I love and that. And if you go down to nineteen, now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens yeah. with the saints, and are of the house of God. So saints come together because we're uh, because Jesus Christ breaks down any barrier. Yeah, and in our day, the the correlation between the like we we've, we've talked about the the temple veil and the separation between us and God being broken through, the mm -hmm. temple being rent in twain when Christ died. That not not as a, a a sense of destruction, probably as much as symbolic of now you can get from one side of the veil to the other side of the veil mm -hmm. because Christ has done what He's done. Wow, I, I, lo I love that. I love the tie between the temple today, the veil in general, and even what God was trying to teach us through the tabernacle of, of times and past, right? That, that they're all tied together. There's a lot of correlations between the two. As we think about and apply that to today and what is, what is relevant to us with General Conference just happening, uh, we see verse 20 coming to, coming to play and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Yeah. Uh, we know and testify that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of this Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And it has a foundation of prophets and apostles. Uh, and those prophets and apostles are able to do his work. And we're going to see that when we, when we get to chapter, chapter 4. But I love verse 21 with this, he's got this building analogy going on. We're breaking down walls, but we're also building on, on cornerstones, chief cornerstones. Mm -hmm. um, he says in verse 21, In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. Each of us need to look at ourselves as part of that building. And are we fitly framed together? Have we come together? Mm -hmm in a way that is going to build his kingdom. And are we on that foundation of apostles and prophets mm -hmm. with Jesus as the, as the cornerstone? Yeah, I really like it. And, and I like the tie-in between that doctrine, that concept, and the end of 19, where he says, fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. He really is describing a structure, mm -hmm. right? That Whether it's the church, the cross-reference to household of God would would help us understand that it's really citizens and, and sons and daughters of God being fit together. It makes me wonder, <clears throat> and as the Institute Director I will ask you, how does this concept of being built upon foundation of prophets and apostles, fitly to fit together as sons and daughters of God and the household of faith, how does that correlate or relate specifically to young adults uh, in probably not differently than you and I as a little bit older people, um, but, but how might a young adult view that uh, in a way that would help them accomplish the, the momentous things that they're going through, mm -hmm. the formative changes and, and decisions they're making? How does that concept of being built on foundations, uh, first being Christ, the cornerstone, right, but, but also with prophets and apostles, how would you counsel young adults to take that doctrine and apply it to their lives? I think in a world right now where things are very uh, fluid, mm -hmm. things shift so, so often, this is an opportunity when we're built upon that foundation, upon the Savior, 
to have some stability yeah. in an ever-changing world. To be able to say, I know, I know who I am. I know where I'm going. Mm. Uh, I know all those divine identities that President Nelson has talked about. I'm a child of the covenant. I'm sure. a child of God. I'm with that. Then, therefore, I can know my place mm. and be able to be firm when the when the winds are 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 wailing around us. When the, the shafts in the whirlwind are coming, as as yeah. Elam and Five talks about. Uh, to know I am built on that that mm. foundation. Elder Wong in his devotional actually had, uh, he did the little motions to wise men build his house upon the rock right. and the congregation <laughs> they just, just all started, started singing it. <laughs> and all these young adults knew that song from, from primary age. Yeah. Uh, but that's the, that's the beauty of having a foundation, that when the winds and the storm come and the, when the floods rise, we are fine. Yeah. And uh, we, we can have peace and comfort and hope in that. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I think that is exactly it. And that that foundation being uh, prophets and apostles uh, is established on the cornerstone of Christ. Mm -hmm. that, <clears throat> that we can know and have faith and trust that what they say is what Christ would say if he were here. And that he has just established them to be his mouthpiece on the earth at this time. That because he can't be present, to, because it would kind of effectively take away our agency to choose mm -hmm. and have faith. He's right there. Things, right? Yep. Um, and, and, I, and I think mercifully he doesn't just come and teach us all individually. Um, but, it, but it doesn't mean that he's not teaching us. It doesn't mean that they are not speaking for him. You know, it was so evident to me as, as we watched Elder Vuong the other night, uh, in no, very normal and natural and funny, he is hilarious, just mm -hmm. funny ways uh, to tie us to, and young adults in particular, to back to something that's grounding. Back to something that just says, you're going to make it, you're going to be okay, mm -hmm. get married, but, you know, yeah. that was his counsel a little bit. And, but but uh, I, I think that in very normal and natural ways, we can find faith and peace and comfort as we look to a prophet and to apostles mm -hmm. that are speaking for him. Maybe some other insights just from the, the Institute Manual. It says, a cornerstone is a massive stone that is laid at the corner of a foundation to give strength and stability to the entire structure. Mm. And so certainly Jesus Christ is that. Yeah. He has given us strength. He's given us stability. But then it says this, a cornerstone can also be used to connect two adjoining walls to form a corner. Mm. Paul used this imagery to explain that Jesus Christ provided strength and stability to the whole church and that through Jesus Christ, Jewish and Gentile members of the church are bound together. So mm. it's not only building strength there, but it's bringing people together. Yeah. And so as a young adult, just know that the Savior can bring you together, yeah. can bring all of us together. And if you feel like right now, I, I don't fit, you can. Yeah. You can be fitly framed together. Yeah. Uh, you can have the chief cornerstone bring you and connect you with some things that is going to bless your life. And so come oh. to the Savior and let him fit that, that together. Two questions are leaping off of my my question sheet from my answering gospel questions class. One of them is, what do I do when I disagree with God? And the second is, how do I feel more connected when I feel like an outsider? And I think both of those are answered in this uh, in this concept of Christ being a central cornerstone. Obviously, like you just shared, it ties us together, right? Mm -hmm. If if I'm living my life in line with the gospel. Um, I'm going to feel more and more linked to those around me. But as Elder Wong shared, uh, only when I'm shooting out, right, when I'm gathering others to me and helping me, and, and conversely, they will shoot you a little more frequently as well when you're putting yourself in that circumstance. But maybe I'll add one thing as a builder. 
because uh, I build homes as well. Uh, this concept of a cornerstone, we don't really use it in construction anymore. Yeah. But the idea of a cornerstone we still use. So uh, when we build a home or any structure, we, we go first and establish a corner. We find one corner. And from that corner, we find 90 degree angles both directions, um, which, is, which establishes where the building's gonna sit on the lot, right? And that's how cornerstones were used. That's why they were used mm. that way, because they were large, they had a long flat surface and on both two 90 degree angles. And if you set that cornerstone two degrees a different direction, the whole building's gonna sit two degrees a different direction. So I love the idea that, um, that Christ as the cornerstone not only binds us together and causes us support, but establishes where the building is. He establishes the wall structure and says, here's, here's, the, here's the boundary lines, um, because he shows that true north and true east or whatever, right? And gives us that, that established line. So going back to those two questions, uh, when I disagree with God, well, I probably need to establish what did Christ say and, and is, is, is uh, his doctrine something I actually believe in? Because I think ultimately the question isn't um, what happens when I disagree with God, it's do I believe in God? Mm -hmm. And if I believe in God, do I believe Christ is his way? And if I can believe that Christ is his way, then I need to go establish what Christ said, what his boundary yep. lines are, right? And <clears> then <throat> I, I probably just need to check, okay, why do I believe what I believe then? Um, what am I missing? Something I'm missing will help me uh, align myself more to, to God's pattern and get myself uh, justified with the Savior, right? That justified in the terms of more like a word document. We justify left or right or center, right? Um, instead of justifying like, proving that I'm right. And that's not how Christ does it, but he moves us to be more in line with him and his cornerstone, right? His, his boundary lines. And sometimes this chief cornerstone, <clears throat> as other scriptures point out, can turn into a stumbling block. Yeah. Uh, not to try to be mean and say, I'm going to sure. trip you up, yep. uh, but perhaps bring that humility to say, you, you don't exactly know yeah. which direction you're heading. You're not in alignment. Right. And so the cornerstone will become then a stumbling block yeah. that allow us to be humble enough to come back to our Savior and go, okay, wh which is the right way? Yeah, and and I might just best. yeah, I might just point us back to chapter one, verse ten, the dispensation of the fullness of times that everything's being restored, and mm -hmm. and so yeah, the world's gotten off in some things, and and we've got to bring it back. We've got to come back to, you know, there are boundary lines that the Savior's established, and 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 even if the world has argued. Uh, contrary to those boundary lines, it doesn't mean that that's okay. Uh, and we need to come back. We need to pull back a little mm -hmm. bit and get within the boundaries. You know, you mentioned the question of what, do I, what if I don't believe, or what if I disagree with what Heavenly Father wants? Yeah. That question more seems to rear its head when it's, what, do I, what if I don't believe in what the prophets are teaching? Sure. And so if we go back to the scriptures, we go back to Ephesians 4. Okay. Uh, he's already mentioned in chapter 2 that he's going to build upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets. But then he goes specifically into what these prophets and apostles are to do. Uh, verse 11, we, we, he gives us the, some of the structure of his, his church. He gave some apostles. Mm -hmm. So we're in chapter 4, verse 11. Some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And here's the why for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Mm -hmm. And if we jump down to verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine 
by the sleight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby mm -hmm. they lie in wait to deceive. Mm -hmm. We have an opportunity in a structure that Heavenly Father has put on this earth today to, to be the church of Jesus Christ mm -hmm. uh, for those purposes, so we can come into the unity. So for the perfecting of the saints, for this work of the ministry, mm -hmm. there is an organization. It's not a willy-nilly. It's not a go-and-do-whatever. And so we need to be in alignment with these prophets and apostles because they've been put on the earth for those particular reasons. Mm, I love that. I love the word edifying as well. We use that word in the light of like feeding and, mm -hmm. and whatnot, but, but the root word um, is edificare. The Latin word is edificare, which is also where this word for structure or mm. edifice comes from, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we reread that... Um, as more of a building concept, which he's kind of got in his mind right here, right? Yep. He's been talking about that. For the perfecting of the saints, this is verse 12, for the work of the ministry and for the edifying or building of the body of Christ. You know, that, that idea is, it isn't just to feed me, it's to build this mm -hmm. thing, it's to have this thing grow. And then maybe um, if we go into how that's done in verse 15, speaking the truth in love, mm -hmm. right? That, that it, it should be done in love, uh, and I think it, you know, probably yesterday and the day before at General Conference, we're, again, we're recording before, mm -hmm. um, any doctrines that were taught that are hard to hear were probably taught in love. Uh, that's how they've been done in the past. Mm -hmm. And I just can't imagine them being done differently. Um, but that's the answer, right? That, that we're not blown about with every wind of doctrine, that we don't, um, we, the Lord doesn't change. Policies might change, practices might change. But ultimately, the doctrines behind them don't. Yeah. And we, we see just even the next verse, chapter 4, verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together. Here we have it again. Right. That if you don't feel like you belong in this gospel, you do. We just have to figure out where, where you fit. Yeah. And you fit through the Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, and and it's really through his apostles and prophets as well. Even when folks seem to have a, have a, a problem with them, uh, have a disagreement with some things they say, they are there to bless us. Elder Holland taught, the apostolic and prophetic foundation of the church was to bless in all times, but especially in times of adversity or danger, times when we feel like children, confused or disoriented, perhaps a little fearful, times in which the devious hand of man or the maliciousness of the devil would attempt to unsettle or mislead. In New Testament times, in Book of Mormon times, and in modern times, these officers form the foundation stones of the true church, mm. positioned around <clears throat> and gaining their strength from the chief cornerstone, the rock of our Redeemer, who is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mm. Such a foundation in Christ was and is always to be a protection in days when the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, his shafts in the whirlwind. Yeah. And so as we maybe hear messages that are, that are difficult, when we hear things that are that maybe at first glance we don't feel fit into our paradigm or what we think. Mm. We've got to know that this foundation is there to bless us. And there's certainly times of adversity and danger and, and disorientation now. Hold on to that foundation. Yeah, yeah, I, I really love that. And I think tying together that fitly joined together concept with the idea that we maybe don't feel like we fit. Well. Probably, I, I don't know. I don't know that it means that we don't fit or maybe we just haven't found the right space on the puzzle. Mm 
to fit ourselves, right? Exactly. Probably and perhaps there are some rough edges that need to get knocked off and there are some places that maybe we need to make some corrections and in how we reach out to others and how we accept people being uh, as members of the church to each other. Um, sometimes I think we don't fit because we're, we're not really trying to fit and we want people to fit us and not the other mm -hmm. way around. But it reminded me as, as you were reading and talking about that about what Paul told the Corinthians in chapter 12 when he's talking about the parts of the body. Yep. Right, that, that some are the head, and maybe I'll just read this a little bit. Verse 15, If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling, right? This idea mm -hmm. that the body is fit together of different parts. We... we and, and maybe in the church, sometimes we want everybody to look the same. We want everybody to look like a head, right? We want, we want to have a mm -hmm. whole bunch of leaders who could all be the bishop. And, and, and wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, no, probably not. We'd, we'd miss a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. And so for those of you out there feeling like you don't fit, maybe it's okay that you're not fitting like a head or you're not fitting like a toe or a fingernail or whatever you feel like you are. Maybe you are something else. Mm -hmm. And it then becomes our responsibility to figure out what we are and what we offer. Have, those, have the Savior help you. Have Him show yeah. you who you are. Um, but, but that helps us be fitly joined together that we might be, well, verse 32, and maybe you're going to go there, but be ye kind. This is verse chapter 4, verse 32. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. That, that kindness and acceptance and gathering of everybody, not just the kinds that are like us, right? I think that, that concept is important, especially if I don't feel like I fit. Gather other people that feel like you, that fit like you, and you'll fit. Heavenly Father has a plan for us. Yeah, I love that. <clears throat> he has a place. Love that. Well, if we continue, so, so we've learned some things about saints. Yep. Saints are saved by grace. Saints are led by apostles and prophets. Uh, saints rely on that wall of perdition being, being broken down. Uh, saints rely on that cornerstone of, of Jesus Christ. As we continue in um, and, we, and we get towards maybe the end of these, these chapters, yeah. we have some what saints do when it comes to interpersonal relationships. Mm. And specifically, as in chapter 5, when he talks about the, the relationship between a husband and wife. Mm. And so we see some things that are, that are taught that not only teach us about interpersonal relationships, but how those interpersonal relationships are defined by and in terms of the relationship that Jesus Christ has mm. with people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we go to verse 22 of chapter 5. Wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Oftentimes, I think this, maybe this one's quoted and, and said in such a way that, that could be considered demeaning sure. or, or controlling. Yeah. Uh, but then Paul really goes into, well, let's look at, if we're going to relate this after the way that the Savior did, mm -hmm. then these are the things that need to happen. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church mm -hmm. and gave himself for it. Yeah. There wouldn't be any demeaning here because this no. uh, husband would, would give himself for the, the wife, yeah. sacrifice. Yeah. We have other things over in verse 28. So ought men to love their wives even as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourish and cherisheth it mm -hmm. even as the Lord the church. Mm -hmm. Any way we see the Savior treat His church, which is all of us, 
we would want to see a husband and wife have that kind of a relationship. Yeah. yeah. That would be about cherishing. It would be about nourishing. It would be about loving and giving yeah. to that to that person. Yeah, I, man, I really love that. I think there is so much in there that on the surface could be taken offensively. I think it, uh, as, here we are, two guys talking about this, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but I love that perspective that that is counsel first to the wives to submit to your husbands, but. But man, look at what the husband's asked to do. It is mm-hmm. so much more involved. Um, and I don't know that the submissive wife, the way that the world might describe that, is really what the Lord's saying here. Um, I think when priesthood is part of that concept, when uh, presiding and, and protecting and providing is all in there, just as the Savior would do, right? He's provided and protected and presides over, mm-hmm. right? If, if all those things are done in love and righteousness like the Savior, then I think we all want to just abide in the Savior, right? And, and I think the counsel here is abide in a husband who is just the same way. Um, thir- verse 31, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. My, my wife and I talk often about what that means, that concept of one flesh. And, and maybe I've shared it before on the podcast, but, but the idea that to me that... Uh, I'm not supposed to just accept who my wife is and and learn to deal with her. I'm supposed to understand... And vice versa. Right, for sure. (laughs) I'm supposed to understand her or get to a point where I can understand her and value her differences. So much so that I want those same differences, that I want to understand why she is that way, not just so I can handle it and deal with it better, but so that I can apply those same things to myself. Isn't that really ultimately the only way I can become one with my spouse is become like her and she become like me in in all the things that I can fully and perfectly eventually understand all things feminine, not because I'm a female, but because I'm a male married to a perfect feminine eventually, right? That I can learn all those things from her. Um, I think eternally when we look at the grand scheme, in fact, the cross-reference on uh, 31A under one flesh talks about marriage celestial unity, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It is eternally the the form for man and woman to become perfected only because we exist together. Um, I, I won't put on what, what Heavenly, how Heavenly Father learned everything he learned, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it sure seems to me like I'm gonna learn a lot of things from my perfected wife uh, in the feminine form uh, that, that maybe I won't have another opportunity to learn in, the, in, that, in that way. Um, and, and uh, I'm just grateful for that. It makes me look at my wife's imperfections, maybe, and see them differently, knowing that someday they will be perfections, mm-hmm. and I will need to learn from those things and, and become one with her. I think that's kind of a cool way of looking at marriage, right? Yeah, and that becoming one is really going to happen because you're choosing to guide your relationship with others, specifically with your wife, yeah. like your relationship is with the Savior. Yeah. Those same principles that guide how you connect with the Savior and, and the things that you do as far as mm. um, becoming one with the Savior and having submitting your will to the Savior, uh, those are the same types of things that we're, should define our relationship with others, right. just like how Christ would do it, Yeah, following His example. Well, and I love that blow-up view, right, where we, where we get out of the micro looking at the marriage and we look at, okay, well, how, do, how does this affect how I am mm-hmm. in my extended family or exactly. my, my work colleagues, right? Can I act as 
um, the Savior would be in a marriage in love and righteousness and protection and uh, providing and, and maybe in this, uh, the, the woman's perspective, uh, as, as, a, as a person who has a boss sitting right mm -hmm. in front of me, can I, can I rely on you as the Savior would want me to and rely the, on your ability and capacity to protect and to provide? And, you know, um, I think there's, there's a lot there for all of us to learn from yep. in the marriage concept, right? Yeah, if we, if we are saying the reason I submit to Jesus Christ is because, I, A, I know him, yeah. I trust him, and I know he's not going to do anything that's going to, going to hurt me or right. not be of my, my benefit, uh, shouldn't that be the way we submit yeah. in our marriages as well? Sure. And if a, a wife cannot trust and say, right. oh, I know that you're not going to, then, right. then there's no requirement to submit oh, for at sure. that point. Yeah. Uh, this should be based on, on how we have that relationship with the Savior, yeah. uh, and that, that should then be the, the pattern for a marriage. Yeah, when righteousness exists, right, and we get outside of the marriage concept there, and we, th we think about in the workplace, right? Mm -hmm. If I have a righteous boss who actually tries hard, I think I can trust that, and I, I, as, as the feminine here would submit, I can submit, and, and I think conversely within the marriage, that, that same concept is there. I really love that. It, verse 33, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. That it really ultimately is about the relationship with the Savior, isn't it? And we we actually see that in chapter six. He's going to go on and talk about servants and masters, and we we absolutely don't believe in, in slavery and servants and so on. But President Kimball kind of said you could just take that to be uh, if we were to just talk about employees sure. and employers uh, that. Uh, Paul speaks, Elder, Elder President Kimball said, Paul speaks of unholy masters and surely has reference to those who would defraud servants or employees and would not properly compensate for labors done or goods furnished. He likely has in mind men who are unkind, demanding, and inconsiderate of their subordinates. Mm. Paul likewise enjoined a lofty standard upon employees. We may take this to mean in modern times that the servants and employees should consistently give honest service, full and complete, and do to the employer what he would want an employee to do for him yeah. if he or himself were the employer. Cool. So uh, we kind of take this and go, it's not about servants and masters anymore, but if we were to make it relevant to our day, uh, am I a good employee? Yeah. Or am I a good employer? Right. And how I'm, how I'm treating. And then there's a, you blow this up into to the family as well. Uh, children, obey your parents in verse 1 of chapter 6. Uh, verse 4, fathers, provoke not your children. Uh, so there's some things here about how do we, just our interpersonal relationships, are we patterning after the Savior yeah. in all of this? Yeah, and, and, and similarly at the beginning of chapter 6, that uh, verses maybe 1 through 4, reference to children obeying parents, honoring mm -hmm. your father and your mother, uh, with a promise that you'd live long on the earth. And verse 4, your father's not provoking your children to wrath. Bring them up in nurture and not in admonition of the Lord. Same concept, right? We're talking uh, boss and employee. We're talking father and child, mother and child, right? That, that idea that there is a stu when there's a stewardship, it should be done, what does he say? In the nurture and admonition of the Lord, verse 4, right? Yep. Um, whether it's a servant um, boss employee environment or a a home environment it should be done in that way. Very cool. Very cool. Well, we made it to chapter six. Yeah, we did and it. And so what do saints do in chapter six? Saints do those things that we've talked about with family and yeah. interpersonal relationships. But saints also, and probably perhaps the most famous verses in Ephesians, saints put on the whole armor of God. Yeah. Verse 11. 
And so I, we could go through the each individual piece of armor. There's some great yeah. things in the student manual and so on. You can you can look at that. I'd like to focus on just where does the armor come from? Yeah. Elder Ballard uh, said this about the armor. I like to think of this spiritual armor not as a piece of solid metal molded to fit the body, but more like chain mail. Chain mail consists of dozens of tiny pieces of steel fastened together to allow the user greater flexibility without losing protection. True spiritual power lies in numerous smaller acts woven together in a fabric of spiritual fortification that protects and shields from all evil. A parent is not going to just say, well, I taught you once, and now you have the armor of God. Yeah. <laughs> it is going to be the chainmail effect. Right. It's going to be repetitive teaching, repetitive prayers, repetitive study. All of these things, continued church attendance, each of those adds another link of the chainmail, yeah. thus creating the armor of God. Yeah. Yeah, I actually really love that. The, the verses 10 through 14, how many times does he say the word stand? Four or five times in there he says mm-hmm. the word stand, right? That that we would need to be actively engaged, but that the armor is something that is placed on us as we are active, right? As mm-hmm. we're part of that process of becoming actually also protects us. Um, those little tiny acts, right? Verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication, right? That that it isn't just about being taught and I know the thing, now I, now I have the armor. Uh, have the armor. That, that's not it. It's about... Um, walking with it and standing with it and, and being active um, and, and keeping it something that we shine and we and we polish. You know, it's interesting in, at the Institute here in Boise, uh, Brother Stafford has a full uh, a, a full set of armor, in, like a little statue in his, mm-hmm. and it's like, I don't know, five feet tall um, and uh, and he's got it labeled with the, you know, these parts and pieces. Um, and it's interesting, as, as I've sat in his office and looked at that, I, I think, how uncomfortable would that be to wear, mm-hmm. right? And that's what we're being told to wear. And it, it, it would feel like it takes all of your natural emotions away. But I love, was that Elder Ballard? Is that what yes, you said? Yes, Elder M. Russell Ballard. Elder Ballard. Yeah. I love that. And he like, talks about that being, uh, kind of allow the user greater flexibility without losing protection. Yeah, that's really cool. You know, I might add, you, you mentioned something early on in the podcast episode here that that uh, you mentioned the citation index. Um, and maybe for those of you out there who aren't familiar with that, that's an app that exists mm-hmm. on cell phones. Um, and I think you can get it on a computer. You can get it well. online as well, yep. Um, and really what it is, is uh, someone has taken the time to identify every single verse in scripture that has ever been used in any general conference talk and link them together. So you could go in and say, I don't really understand Ephesians six twelve and go into the citation app and, and see citation index and see what has been said at General Conference about the citation in, in, about that verse in General Conference and click on the verse and it links you to the quotes um, in there. It really is a wonderful way uh, to understand the scriptures better, to get prophetic statements and comments about um, every verse that you question and want a little bit more understanding on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably how seminary and institute teachers come across so intelligent. <laughs> they, they use, <laughs> we just link to that. Yep. So, citation index is that. <laughs> it just looks like a little book app. Yep. Um, so. yep. Anyway, brother, thank you. We're, we're at the middle of six at least. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we well, just, close things out? I, I guess with continuing this armor of God, uh, as, as I think of young adults out there that may be listening to this and thinking, what do they need to do 
or what do all of us need to do in order to just put on the armor of God? Yeah. I really think it is those, those small acts that yeah. we're just going to link by link put it together. Elder, Pack, or Elder Packer did teach this, um, specifically about the shield of faith and, and the armor, but he said this, the shield of faith is to be made and fitted in the family. No two can be exactly alike. Each must be handcrafted to individual specifications. Mm. So uh, maybe if we have some parents out there listening, <laughs> you're, you're going to do some things different with each child. There needs yeah. to be some handcraftedness. Mm. He said, he continues, quote, the plan designed by the father contemplates that man and woman, husband and wife, working together, fit each child individually with a shield of faith made to buckle on so firmly that it can neither be pulled off nor penetrated by those fiery darts. It takes the steady strength of a father to hammer out the metal of it and the tender hands of a mother to polish and fit it on. Sometimes one parent is left alone to do it. It is difficult, but it can be done. In the church, we can teach about the materials from which a shield of faith is made. Reverence, courage, chastity, repentance, forgiveness, compassion. In church, we can learn how to assemble and fit them together. But the actual making of and fitting on of the shield of faith belongs in the family circle. Wow. And so we come to this home-centered, yeah. church-supported. Mm. Families need to be about fitting that armor. I don't know everybody's situation that's listening. And sometimes you, we have some folks out there that may be like, my family didn't fit me. Mm-hmm. It can still be done. Yeah. It can still be done. Yeah. Come to the Savior. He will help you help you fit. Uh, but if you're you're starting a family, if you're in a you're in a family, know that that's a that's a family responsibility. Yeah. In fact, at one other time in that quote or in that talk, he said, "The ministry of the prophets and apostles leads them ever and always to the home and to the family. Mm-hmm. That shield of faith is not produced in a factory, but at home in a cottage industry. Mm-hmm. The, wow. the armor of God is a cottage industry, and it should be specific to those yeah, individuals, that... mothers, fathers. I love that." I love that. Do you have a reference on that, the talk from that? Yes, the Shield of Faith, uh, Enzyme May 1995. So it probably would be, yeah, Enzyme May 1995. President Packer? President Boyd K. Packer. That's fantastic. You know, it reminds me of my, my wife has taught me so many things, and she talks about the family proclamation and how sometimes uh, we look at that very clinically as this is what it's supposed to look like every time. And uh, her, she would describe it, and she's brilliant, she would describe it as uh, the pattern that we're given, like we were making a shirt. We're given all the materials. If you've got a husband and a wife, you've got children, all the materials are present. But whether your shirt is a long sleeve shirt or a short sleeve shirt, maybe you have a pocket, maybe it's a belly shirt, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's got one of those hanging hooks on the back of it, or mm-hmm. you know, the shirts are gonna look different. <clears throat> and as long as we're attempting to make a shirt, and we're trying to fit the, make the pattern as much as we possibly can. Sometimes we have a little less fabric than other families have, or, or a little more fabric than other families have, and, and it looks different. Um, but I think as long as we're trying to make a shirt, we're, we're doing okay. The challenge comes in when we decide we don't want a shirt, we want pants. And so we, we take the same materials and we try to make something completely different that doesn't work and doesn't fit within the gospel plan. I love this correlation between uh, the armor of God and the family and the parents being the responsibility uh, of the parent to um, to help fit the child and that it would be that tight and that fitted. Uh, I think my wife will really love that concept. It is a too. cottage she, industry. Think along those lines of what you were saying with the family proclamation, it says disability, death, or other circumstances may necessitate individual adaptation. Right, true. We do have to we do have to adapt. We have yeah. to look at these uh, each child and figure out what. What do they need a little yeah. bit differently? But with the Savior, 
And as we stay in tune to hear him, uh, we can see what needs to happen in our in our home-centered mm -hmm. gospel of Jesus Christ. Brendan, thank you. Uh, it has been so wonderful to be with you. I know you've got a class to get to and teach. Um, would you just, in closing, maybe share uh, some final thoughts just directly to the young adults? What What is it that you would want them to know? You shared some things at the beginning um, about Institute, and maybe you want to go back to that. but. But uh, as you work with young adults every day and see them and their struggles and their joys and their happiness, uh, what would you want them to know from you? Well, maybe just take it back to what we've talked about. We've been talking about and throwing around the word saint. Yeah. And a saint, uh, the translation of that is uh, rendered holy. The fundamental idea being that of consecrated or separation for a sacred purpose. Mm -hmm. And so for the young adults listening, uh, you are a saint. And the word saint can therefore mean holy one or one who has set his or her life apart from the world. Mm. And that's, that would be my counsel. Set your, set your life apart from the world. Yeah. Consecrate it to the Savior. Be a saint in that sense of the word. Ephesians can help us get there. The scriptures help us get there. Ultimately, the Savior helps us get there. But set yourself apart from the world and know that as you do, blessings flow mm. and you'll become what Heavenly Father would have you become. Man, I love that. Brendan, thank you. For those of you out there, thank you. Uh, thank you for being with us this week. I know there's lots of conference to go back and study. Please go back and study it. Uh, grateful that you came in to check in on the Come Follow Me uh, block this week. But uh, we are just grateful that you're out there. Check in with us on Facebook. Uh, Brendan, it's good to be with you. Will you come back and be with us again? Absolutely. Thank you, man. Awesome. Love it. Thanks. Thanks.